You try me once, you're back for more. Oh, yes, sir, I can boogie, but I need a certain song. I can boogie, boogie, woogie, all night long. We are back just two short months after the Euros adventure. Scotland returned to the serious business of World Cup qualifying. We're three games into the qualifying group and we currently sit in the playoff spot and this week we face a massive triple header which will go a very long way to determining whether we're in the running for automatic qualification for the World Cup in Qatar 2022 or scrapping for a playoff spot. On Saturday, the Tartan Army will return to Hamden in big numbers for the first time since the pandemic began when Scotland welcomed Moldova before the team head to Vienna for a crucial clash with Austria. First up, of course, is Wednesday's trip to Copenhagen against top seeds Denmark, who had an incredible run to the semi-finals of Euro 2020, currently sit top of our qualifying group with three wins from three, 14 goals scored and none conceded. To get the lowdown on them, I called up Cameron Deacon, who is a writer based in England who runs the excellent Nordic Footy Twitter account, covering the fascinating football stories from that part of the world. We chatted Euros, the players you'll know, a few you might not, and why the best way to attack this Denmark team might be with all the speed we've got. I really hope you enjoy that conversation that I can bring to you right now. So, Cameron Deacon, the man behind Nordic Footy, thank you so much for joining me on the Tartan Scarf podcast. Uh, first of all, how are you doing this weekend? How are you getting on? I'm, I'm doing very well, thanks. Uh, it's been sunburnt myself a few times up in Scotland. But uh, so it's a bit of a surprise. But no, I'm great now. Back home, looking forward to settling some football finally. Yes, absolutely. This 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 is certainly one of my favorite favorite times of the year. You know, the season is just getting going. Club teams are still sort of figuring themselves out. Transfer window still going. But then we get into the first international break of the season, and certainly for for us, for international fans, it's 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 the return of real proper football after the Euros. But before we get into this, I just wanted to yeah, maybe just introduce yourself to to my audience. So tell me about Nordic Footy. Tell me how did that start? How did you get involved? Yeah, so about um, oh yeah, now we're in August, getting September. So about nine months ago, I started Nordic football as essentially a way to try and put myself towards a, a passion project of sorts uh, and try and dedicate myself to a, a topic of football that was pretty niche and obviously there's loads of people covering it out there but try and cover it in a, a broader sense um, where you try and pick out these interesting stories from these Nordic regions so that'd be Greenland, Iceland, the Faroe Islands, Denmark, Sweden, Norway um, even the Åland Islands which is a small group of islands between Sweden and, uh, and Finland but what I think what drew, drew me to it was the fact that it's it's football but it's different because in these regions, they're so um, dictated to by the environment and the essentially, the, literally the seasons as it passes, that the way that they play football and the way that they view football is completely different to the way that you and me view it. So as the, the fans of uh, a club in England or Scotland, it's, you know, you have your season from August to June, whatever, whereas in the, the Nordic regions, it's a case of you might have a season that lasts when the sun is out, you know, <laughs> for, for a lot of time of the year, there is very little sun in these northern parts. I, I know people in, who are big fans of clubs in the north of Norway, you know, like Tromso, who are in the, the top division of Norway at the moment. And I think they, they claim to be the, the northernmost professional team in the world, you know, because it's, and the, 
just that idea of playing in a place where you might turn up at your ground one day and actually it's impossible to play because the, the pitch is 15 feet under the snow or you can't get to the match because the, the roads are literally complete sheet ice it, it's quite fascinating to me. And this idea that because these places are so isolated from big cities and um, sort of the, the way that we have towns and cities in the central Europe, it, football becomes more part of their life. You know, it's, it, it's the living and breathing thing for a weekend, for a rest, a break, you know, their, their life revolves around it in these regions, which means that the passion for football is so much more fiery there, despite the little resources that they have. And it, it, there's something special about that, and it makes type of football quite attractive to me. And it, it, the stories that you get out of it are brilliant. And I found ever since I started it, the learning and speaking to people who have gone there. I spoke to um, a guy named Joel who moved from Texas to the Faroe Islands to play football. And it's like, why on earth do that? He, he's gone yeah. from the, a, a super metropolis city in, I think it was in Dallas to go to the Faroe Islands, but because of their passion for football in the Faroe Islands compared to that in America, where it's it's very, you know, elitism style football. You know, you're not going to break in unless you have a clear pathway for, as a, from a rich family. Where in the Faroe Islands, it's a case of, we just love it that much that even though we've got a population of 50,000, we've got a league of 12, pe- 12 different teams and four divisions. So we'll take anyone who's passionate and half decent. So no, it's... It, Nordic football is essentially going to spread these stories from the Nordic regions whilst also having a little bit of news and the leagues that come with it. So it's been brilliant for the last nine months. Super. No, that is great. That is great. And, and you know, I've got to say, like, it might sound a bit romantic, but like that, that is a big part of why I love football, you know, is that, you know, it does get translated into every different language in the world, but it is a language unto itself as well, you know, that even though like you're saying these different countries they they adapt football to what they can do and the the facilities and the resources and the climate that they've got but it's all the same and it i don't know i love it it's it's yeah, yeah. it's what we love and, and international football you know it, it is a way of bringing countries like that together which is lovely mm. um so i guess look obviously we're here to knuckle down and talk about denmark really specifically because obviously on wednesday uh, scotland come back to world cup qualifying um, in Copenhagen against Denmark. Uh, this is obviously going to be a very tough game for Scotland. Denmark top seeds in the group. Looking back to the Euros, obviously Scotland went out in the group stage, whereas Denmark, having had a really difficult start, obviously losing their first two games, the tragic circumstances around Christian Eriksen, who is hopefully like getting back to healthy healthiness and happiness. Um, the team really shone. They ran, made that run to the semi-final before being put out by England. And really, I think, sort of became a lot of people in Europe's second team. Did that level of success at the Euros, did that surprise you? Or was that sort of, was that where Denmark were aiming for this summer? I think the, the first thing to understand, with especially, and it's common throughout Nordic regions in general, is they like to see themselves as the underdog. That's, that's how they portray themselves. You know, Denmark won the Euros in 92, and it, that was all about the underdog story. Yeah. They're very much... The they're very much... Yeah, yeah. They're, they're very much the Leicester of the international scene, I think. That's how I like to view it. You know, they, they, they have this brilliant squad, but they're not happy to admit that they're one of the top top teams in the world yet. But in terms of 
my expectations for the Euros, I, it didn't surprise me at all, honestly, because seeing the way that Denmark play and looking at how their results before the Euros running into it, um, it, it just all added up to me as they're going to have a great time here because they, they're playing at home. They had the, the three matches at home during the group stages yeah. in front of their own fans. And despite what happened in that first game against Finland, the the spirit of the squad which is there which is one of the major aspects which has gone through in how they were able to adapt to the situation with Ericsson and come back and even even though they lost that game afterwards to Belgium after Finland they were they still looked like a brilliant side there was no that they didn't look like a team who typically get battered by a, a, a superstar Belgium side they went ahead and honestly until De Bruyne came on they probably could have scored one or two more, and it was it was only De Bruyne who turned it around. So, if you're looking, my personal expectations looking at the squad, it didn't surprise me. I had a, I had a bet on them to get to semi final, so I was very happy with that. Nice. But also, <laughs> but I think people in Denmark are aren't happy almost to admit that they are that as good as they are. Right. And and I I think that they hopefully now will start to, uh, you know, sort of cling on to this less of an underdog uh, mentality and accept that they're one of the better teams in international football, I think, anyway. Yeah, so, so basically what you're saying is they need knock down a peg or two. That's Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I think that there's the potential in this group stage where they could... They, there's Obviously, you never know what's going to happen in football, but they could go either way of having... They could go through this whole group without conceding a goal, win every single game, and it, looking at the group, people would go, oh, yeah, the, the team's in it. They're, they just weren't up to it. Denmark aren't that good, but they've beaten them anyway, when actually it's more to do with the fact that Denmark are a, a very good side. Mm-hmm. And it's this, I, I think, maybe once they start, um, yeah, if, if they got, I think reality would come calling if they got beat by a team like Scotland and Israel or an uh, Austria, because they, at the moment, I don't think they have that. They just, the, the only the only game they've lost, the only team they've lost against, I, I, again, I, I try not to, I don't really count the Finland match mm-hmm. because of the circumstances surrounding it, yeah. but take that match out of it. Since 2018, the only team they've lost to in international football is Belgium. That's the, that's the, they're the only side they've lost to. So it's, they're like, no, they're beating Germany, beating they beat England. Obviously, they beat. Uh, I think they've been Spain in that run as well. It's they're they're a good side, and it's there's no doubt about that. And I think this group stage could potentially show that they could maybe release themselves to the world a little bit more. But mm-hmm. maybe they will continue to say it was all luck, and <laughs> in the World Cup they will they will be the underdogs yet again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess. Looking into this Denmark team, you know, there's not too many changes really from, I think there's maybe only like four or five changes um, mm. from the squad that went to the Euros. A couple of those are sort of injury enforced. Obviously, Yannick Vestergaard's injured. Um, Christian Eriksen is obviously no longer with the squad for now. Um, but like, how, how would you rate the squad that looks like right now? What would you say their greatest strengths are? Obviously, the team spirit seems to be a big part of that, but they do have some really good players as well. Yeah, of course. And it's, I think Denmark's strength is in their, it's in their ability to have players who are all on a similar level. Mm-hmm. And it's 
Ericsson was a player who was, to the outside perspective, he was the superstar name. He was the most well-known player. Denmark's strength is in their ability to be a, a cohesive unit and not have a player who's dictating everything. So that there's the, when you look at the Denmark side now and you name a squad to anyone in England who knows the players or in Scotland, it's, it, there's no one there who sort of scares anyone. You know, they'll remember the names from the Euros. You know, England fans will forever remember Mikkel Damsgaard's free kick. Yep. But even so, he's still this 21-year-old kid who's he's not really done anything. And yet, when they are together it, as a side, they are, they're just brilliant. The, the, the strength of Denmark, I think, is in... The, the main strength is in their defensive ability. You know, they, they've not got... Um, they won't have Vestergaard, obviously. But they do have they have brought in Joachim Anderson, who's at Palace now, I think. Um, and the way they play is they sit back so deep with these, it'll be um Christiansen, Anderson, and Kaye from AC Milan. I'd imagine as a back three. Um so they basically play they used to play a four three three and have sort of attacking win backs, which molded this weird formation where it was like two five three. <laughs> um, but they've, since Ericsson's left, they've changed to this 3-4-3 where the wing-backs are basically running like lunatics up and down the pitch, covering everywhere. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, there's no out-and-out strength in the Denmark team in terms of positional ability. But as a squad, is where they're the best. As a, you know, that's why they're so frightening to teams, I think, because they just work so well. It just flows brilliantly. Whereas, you know, unlike... Portugal who have stars in every single position they are still dictated by Ronaldo yeah <laughs> you know it's yeah, it, it's not there they, they, they don't have that you know it's it, they don't have Martin Braithwaite running the, the team for them they don't have a they don't have you know their, their midfield is not uh massively creative players you know Delaney uh it isn't he's not a player who's going to go forward and score your goals mm. you know that the, they just it just works well. It, it's hard to explain. It, the best, the best thing that I can sort of say about the Denmark squad is their transitional ability. Mm-hmm. So from defence to attack, their ability to get the ball from a defender to uh, a winger within two or three passes from out of nowhere is it, it's amazing. It's one of those things that they will just score a goal out of nowhere. It'll it will seem like nothing, nothing has happened, no and then they'll score the goal. Yeah. They'll be passing the ball around the back, and then it'll be one long ball over the top, and that's it. They're in. They draw you in with a very slow tempo play around the back and in the midfield, and then one of the defenders or um, one of the wing backs will fly a ball forward to a, a Damsgaard, to a Braithwaite, to a Paulson up top, and then all of a sudden they're in. You know, it, it doesn't. It, it, it's not like um, I would. <laughs> I always look at like Man City who pass the ball around the opposition's box about 400 times until there's an opening. They're not like that. They, they no. don't sit outside your box. They will, once they're in an attacking position, they will go for goal. And that's, right. that's how they work as a team. Okay. Okay. I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I was worried about this game and I feel like you're increasing my levels of anxiety uh, as we speak. <laughs> um, but that's okay. Um, but you know, I, I, th- I think what's interesting is that I feel like. Scotland under Steve Clark, I feel it could probably learn a lot from this Denmark team. And I think when, Absolutely, you, look yeah. at, when you look at the squad selections that Steve Clark has made over recent years, every group that gets called up, there's maybe only one or two changes each time. And usually mm. those are enforced changes. So you can definitely tell that Steve Clark is trying to develop a, 
a preferred first choice 11 that plays more or less every game because really the more we get to play together and I think similar to Denmark there probably isn't really any I mean Robertson Tierney potentially guys that are head and shoulders above everyone else that the mm. general level of ability in the squad is quite good but it's just about getting them to play well together and yeah obviously we've talked about some of those some of the some of the sort of better known names in the in the Denmark team is certainly there's quite a few that most people in the UK will be familiar with but is there anyone that you would flag up in this team that maybe might be under the radar just now maybe people that are ready to break out in this Denmark team yeah absolutely there's and, and this is the point of the Denmark team you know like, what I think you know you say you know, the, the Michaels the Hoybergs even the even the Braithwaite's now because he plays for Barcelona are a very yeah. common common knowledge but the rest of the team, like I mentioned, aren't really very well known. So people I would point out are, um, so they've got Joachim Myler, who plays yep. for Atlanta. And he usually plays, it's, really, it's a really weird situation, but Atlanta, he'll play right wing. When he comes into Denmark, he plays as a left wing back. But during the Euros, he played every single minute of every game. And he was genuinely one of the better players in the entire tournament. And as a left wing back, he still managed to get two goals and assists towards the end of the tournament. And he, I'm, I'm genuinely baffled that no one's picked him up this summer. Mm-hmm. With all the craziness that there has been in this transfer window, the fact that he hasn't got a move, is, it, it amazes me. And obviously, Atlanta are a very, very good side, but he never, he's never seemed to flourish there. He's been there for a few seasons now, and he, despite how attacking they are, Atlanta, he'll only have a, a good game every three matches. Whereas for Denmark, he seems to have them every single time he plays. It's, and, and that's like that's that's a big point of this Denmark squad. So like Casper uh, Dolberg is another player that I've I've put down here, and he's you know, he's a striker for Denmark. He he didn't start the first few games, but towards the end he he really come in, really came into the his own in the Euros. He scored three goals, and the main reason I mention him is because even though he he looks like he's sort of having you know he's one of these players who will play fifty minutes and come off, maybe score a goal, maybe get you know he's, he's a big guy, big kid basically. Um, but he looks like he could be gearing up to have the season of his life at the moment. He's he did well towards the back end of the Euros, like I mentioned, and he's already scored three goals in for Nice in in his last two games. Um, obviously, the last one for Nice got called off against Marseille, and everyone yeah. <laughs> saw why that was called off. But he, he'd already scored in that game, and it was one nil to uh, Nice in that one. But he he's a player who, if he starts. And the, the front line is incredibly interchangeable for Denmark. If he starts, he will cause problems because he's got he's he's fast, he's big, he's able to lay off the wing the wingers very very easily. And so ba- basically, you've got to get very tight to him. Grant Grant Hanley's going to have a job in his hands if he's playing basically. Um, and there are loads of players I could mention there. Damsgaard, like I said before, uh, Jonas, Jonas Wind. He didn't really he didn't impact the Euros as much as I predicted he would. But he's always had good qualifying for Denmark. Always. He, he, again, another young kid. Um, and there's so many, so, so many young Danes who are coming out of the, the Danish league system at the moment that even when a player gets injured, like a, like a Vestergaard, like an Eriksson who's out, there's so many interchangeable players. Uh, and the last one I want to mention is Mohamed Dharami, 19-year-old kid, uh, has just moved. I think it was completed yesterday. He's moved to Ajax. He's 19 years old, he's a left wing, and he could genuinely be a superstar. He's not played for Denmark yet. He's been called up to this squad. Where I don't think he'll start against Scotland. Uh, I think he'll definitely start against the Faroe Islands. So depending on how the game goes, he might come on. Um, 
he's played over 100 senior matches already at 19. He's, he basically scores or assists every other game. You know, there's a reason a team like Ajax want him because he's, he suits that. Ajax played very similar. When Ajax got to the semi-finals of the Champions League a few years back, they, they play a very similar style to how Denmark play now. They don't have brilliant world-beating players, but the squad just works, and that's, he just fits that to a T. So if he could come into this squad and he could make a left-wing position his own, because like I said, that front three, really interchangeable, and it switches around all the time. But no, there's, there's, there's a lot of players to be worried about who you've probably never heard of before. <laughs> well, I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure we'll all have heard of them by the time it's about 10 o'clock <laughs> on Wednesday night at this rate. Um, Billy, I guess we do have, you've got to tell me the other side of the coin, though. Mm. We've talked a lot about the strengths in this Denmark team. Are there any obvious weaknesses? And I know we're talking about a team that are unbeaten yeah. in this in qualifying. They've scored 14 goals. They've not conceded. Please, there must be weaknesses. Where are they? Yeah. So Denmark's a, a really, really interesting one because it, it sounds massively cliche. Their biggest weakness is their strength <laughs> in, in the weirdest possible way. So like, like I said, their, their best the way they play in being so well transitioned from defence to attack, it happens so suddenly. And the way I went on the, the Finnish football show uh, before the Euros started, and, I, and the way I described it is when Denmark decide to attack, when it suddenly goes from zero to 100, which it usually does, there are literally screenshots that I've taken where they will be playing like 226 you know, all of a sudden, the centre-halves are left at the back, their centre-defensive midfielders are dragged forward, and there's six players up top, including the midfielders, the wingers, and the wing-backs. They're just all at the top. So the weakness in that is, if you can interrupt that transition, they are incredibly slow at getting back. As hard as they work, once a mistake is made, and they do often make mistakes, it's just, it's covered so well by the fact that they will go on and, and win a game. Mm-hmm. When they make mistakes, if you can capitalise on those mistakes, you'll, you'll, you'll almost always get a chance at the very least. Because if, you're, if they're pushing so far forward like they do, and they've got no defenders back, if Scotland can have... Um, a, who play in midfield? It's like Callum McGregor. Yep. If he's your sort of main midfield man, mm-hmm. if he can interrupt the passing play from going from that defence to the attack, then he will find that there's loads of space in front of him. Right. I, I don't... Obviously, Chi Adams is probably a guy at the top um, in terms of speed. Mm-hmm. Who are you going to want there? I, I doubt Lyndon Dykes is a, a speed demon. I've no. not seen him play that much, but... Uh... But, we, but, but, but we, could, we could potentially play uh, someone like a Ryan Fraser or a Ryan Christie off Shea Adams, potentially. So Yes. Then, then, yeah, yeah. So, so what, what, what yeah, you're yeah. basically saying is that it, Denmark's biggest strength is in their quick counterattacks. But if you can break them and effectively fight fire with fire and try and break as quickly as they break, yeah. you can get joy against them. So we need, we need to be brave in terms of it's, turning it, defense it, into it, attack. It, it's, it's the counter-counter. Yeah, it's right. the, like, if they... Counter-attacking, again, is one of their strengths. If, if you can... If you can push back after they've pushed forward, mm-hmm. they you will find massive holes, and you and you don't even need to break as fast as they break, so to speak, because they are the back line is is slow. You know okay. they are they're all big men. They're all uh, Christian Cern and Aya are not they're not sprinters. They're not going to catch you up. 
Uh, Anderson's a bit younger, but again, he's six foot four and is the reason that they all work so well together is they sit very, very deep when the opposition have the ball. And if you get anywhere near them, they'll just sort of box you in and close you down. Yep. That's how they work. But if you can get space around them, they're, they're not going to catch it. The, the best thing that Scotland could do is sort of take advantage of the fast players, mm -hmm. the, the wings as well of Denmark. They get exposed a lot because of how attacking they are. You know, the, and Joachim Meyer, as I mentioned, he was one of the players in the tournament, and yet he's also the one who will leave the biggest gaps behind him because he pushes so far forward. And that, that's that's how it works in the Denmark squad. They've got a lot of attacking threat on the wings, which leaves a lot of space open around the sides. So they can be, you know, exploited in that. Yeah. And I think set pieces. I know a lot of teams will, will try and go like, oh, we'll try and get a set piece goal. It's it's very unlikely against Denmark. They're, they're very very well drilled in that sort of stuff. It's in the open play, capitalising on mistakes, countering their they're pushed forward after a goal. It's it's going to be a lot of hard work for the midfielders, basically. It's, yeah. They're going to have to try and break it down and essentially frustrate, frustrate, aggravate the defenders, mm -hmm. keep them pushing back, keep opening up spaces, and that's how they could score goals and potentially even win the game. Because once once Denmark are on the back foot, they tend to they tend to panic, mm -hmm. and it becomes this just flurry of attacks, which again is very very easy to be exposed. So it's a case of they have to capitalize on the mistakes when they come and they will yeah. come sure you, you don't want to come at 10 o'clock on wednesday and be like if only we had scored that counter attack but then we ended up losing four nil you know it, it, it's that it's that sort of a game it, sure. it will you'll either you'll either win one nil or, or we'll get or it'll go either <laughs> you know, it, it, it's that it's that's that sort of side well, I feel, I feel like I feel like I've seen plenty of Scotland games that have ended up in both camps, really. So, yeah, it'll be fascinating to see to see how this goes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess what, what what I'd be really interested to know is kind of what your perspective is on this on this Scotland team. If you've had the opportunity to sort of look at the players that we've we've called up, and um, who do you think might be able to get a bit of joy against against this Denmark team? Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of the Scotland side. Be fair, it's like like you said. It in many ways, it's very similar to Denmark. It's they don't they don't have massive names. You know, players like um, Robertson and Tierney, despite being that level above, like you mentioned, they don't have to play in that way that they do for Arsenal or for Liverpool. They they can try and play the Steve Clark way, mm -hmm. I guess. And I think you could obviously say the likes of Robertson are going to be very important because, like I said, those wings will be exposed. Yep. Ro Robertson and Tierney are the main threats anyway, I imagine, from what you'd look at, but they are the ones who will be able to expose those positions, and if they can find those gaps, it will be, they'll create chances. Um, Callum McGregor, like I said, is another one. I, um, is there... Is McTominay injured, or has he just missed out completely? Yeah, so McTominay, that, that was a surprise. Um, no one really saw that mm. one coming. Apparently, he'd been nursing a sort of small injury for the last couple of months, and it needed surgery. Right. And Man United basically said that just going into the international break would be the perfect time to get this surgery, so he missed as few games for Man U as possible. So, yeah, he's out injured, unfortunately, which is definitely a miss. Um, yeah, because that, because that, I think I think he has played his best football for Scotland, playing on the right-hand side of the back three for us. Um, when you've got Tierney at the left, McTominay on the right, and then Grant Hanley just cleaning up in the middle because 
it gives us that ability to progress the ball out of defence so much better than we have done mm. in previous years because McTominay and Tierney are such phenomenal passers. Um, although I think one 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 player I will highlight that I am so excited is now continuing with the squad is obviously Billy Gilmore. Um, mm. Came on for his debut, his competitive debut for Scotland um, against England at Wembley and just strolled about the pitch like he owned the place. Um, I think he's had this, he won the man of the match in almost every debut he's had in every competition in his career. Mm. Um, he's a frighteningly good prospect, still only 20 years old, but I think the, his passing ability and the, the strength that he will give us at retaining possession in, in the middle of the pitch, I think that'll make our wing-backs more dangerous because if you're someone like Tierney or Robertson, you're surely going to feel more assured getting forward further knowing that your midfield can retain the ball and you're not mm. worrying that your midfield are going to suddenly lose the ball and all of a sudden you're out of position and you're having to cover back behind yourself yeah. so yeah i think he's certainly one i'm excited about um yeah. and, and, re and really you know that that performance against england at wembley that's what i keep reminding myself that has to be the bar from now on for this scotland side you know i mean that was probably the best we've played under steve clark obviously we didn't score mm. we got a nil nil draw but consider the pressure of the moment, consider the opponent, the venue, the players we were up against, that was a phenomenal performance from Scotland. So I think if we can do that at Wembley, if we can put in a similar performance on Wednesday night, hopefully we could be, we could get something. I, I was going to mention Billy Gilmore actually, because part of what I always think is the way to beat a Denmark side is the, the aggression of your defence. So a player like Grant Hanley, who being a Blackburn fan, I've got a lot of experience with. Yep. He, he, he is he and Scott McTominay. The reason I brought him up was are the sort of players who will be the ones who break down uh, an attack. Mm -hmm. But then the crucial part, well, the next part of your play is then having a player like Billy Gilmore, who's able to open up the chance. You know, yep. it's it's more, it's one thing making a tackle; it's the next thing exploiting that yep. the opportunity that has arisen. And a player like Billy Gilmore, who's now getting that consistent game time with Norwich, which I think it will be, despite being in a team that's not as good as Chelsea, will be crucial for someone like him. Yep. And I think he, he could potentially be a game changer in terms of exposing the, the Danish high press mm -hmm. when it comes. You, know, you need someone it, to thread it, the pass. That's the thing. You need, you need someone that has the ability you're right, to pick up the ball from a defender and very quickly assess the situation and thread mm. a pass into space. And I think Billy Gilmore has got that in his locker. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's, it, it, will be, it will be down to those players who have that ability to, to look up, take a second, because he will. He'll, they'll have time. Mm -hmm. if, if that opportunity comes, and I would be surprised if it did, for him to be able to look up, and he, he will have time, the Danish players will all be in the box because that's yep. how they are <laughs> all six of them will be behind him he will have the t all the time in the world to look up and be like right the there's no wingers over there they've got two center halves pop a ball over the top and that's that's where it'll be released that's where it'll be massively key except it does the issue is Denmark are the sort of side who will with that knowledge they will put someone like a Hoiberg and just mm. plant him on Gilmore yeah. And they'll just leave him there and it's like, don't let him get it off. And it will become this thing of, it'll become backwards football. And once you pass back against Denmark, it's essentially a move over. Unless you can get a, get a mistake out of them or find a, a set piece, it's going backwards against Denmark is not advisable if you win the ball back from a tackle, basically. Mm -hmm.
Oh, geez. It, 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 it's going to be hard. It's going to be really hard for sure. You know, and, and obviously as well, going away from home, going away from home any at any time in international football is difficult. Obviously, mm. fans are back in the stadium now as well. I think that will be a factor as well. Um, and again, some, something in the back of my mind is that, you know, because we're fitting in a triple header, you know, the fact that this this first game is on Wednesday night, I mean, it, it'll hardly give the teams any time to prepare. I mean, we're speaking mm. on Sunday. Um, there's games happening, obviously, all weekend with the clubs, which means that, you know, the players probably won't be joining up with the international teams until Monday probably a light training day on Monday, if anything, but some guys might be coming late if they've been playing on Sunday. It's obviously Celtic Rangers today. And then you're thinking travel on Tuesday and then the game's on Wednesday. So in terms of actually preparation time, there's really not going to be a lot of time that either team is going to have to prepare for this game. Yeah, 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 definitely. And I I think that, if anything, that that could be a way that, um, and it's just just what comes to my mind there, is that'll be the sort of thing that Scotland will be able to exploit in Denmark because they have, one of the the reasons the Denmark stru- uh, squad is so strong is because they're from all over the place. Mm-hmm. You know, unlike an England or a Scotland, where more and more players are coming from your sort of your your home teams. You know, yep. uh, Denmark is scattered everywhere. You know, it's it's the players now coming from the Netherlands, from Denmark itself, from England, from Germany, from Italy, from Spain. It's there's such a scatter of players all over the place that, like, so maybe those few days of having not been together and all, you know, flying in from all over the place could be potential advantage. They might not be up to their full potential yet. They might not be perfectly ready. So, yeah, that, that will probably lead to, like I said, the, the higher rate of mistakes, which then yeah. Scotland should be able to capitalise on, which potentially will come from the fact that the players are more likely to have played with each other in Scotland, in England. So... Yeah, well, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, no, it's going to be a good game, but yeah, could 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 be certainly a scrappy game. But I have I have also thought as well, you know, as much as for Scotland, obviously going to the Euros was a massive thing and it was a huge achievement. And you know, twenty three years, the monkey was off the back, and I feel like we can leave that in the past now. You know, I think the big, arguably the biggest benefit of going to the Euros was the mm-hmm. fact that you know we that group of players got to spend the best part of a month living together, training together, working together. And, you know, it's games like Wednesday night that we need to see the benefit of that. You know, we need to see what they've been working on because they've trained so much together that, you know, we need to see the result of that. And this is much much of the same group of players that was that was there in the summer. So hopefully we can see some a, a positive performance on Wednesday night. But, you know, Cameron, before I let you go, if you could predict the result on Wednesday... If I had to, if I made you predict the result, I know you said it could go either way. The pendulum could swing big in either direction, but stick stick your name to us. Well, uh, something I like doing when when I'm predicting is I, I'm I'm a big man of uh, historic results. Mm-hmm. I, I'll always look back at the the results between two sides, and they, they tend to mirror. You know, it's I remember when they when they played Finland. One of the things I said is, despite the, the fact that they've not played each other for ten years, they will that there will be very little goals because there always has been you know since the 1950s and the same is with scotland denmark you know that they've not denmark haven't beaten scotland since 2004 they've played since then both occasions scotland were at home and beat them 2-1-1-0 but every single time ever that denmark have beaten scotland it's always been by one or two nil Mm -hmm. so as someone who can't really look past Denmark potentially winning another game because they always seem to, I'd probably say 2-0 Denmark. 
if I was pushing it, I'd say Scotland could potentially get a goal and it'd be 2-1, one all. But I'd probably say 2-0 for Denmark. Mm-hmm. Much to the upset of your listeners, I imagine. Yeah, well, look, look do you know what? I, th- I, th- I think, I think we, we all obviously accept that we're going to come into this game as underdogs. But mm. we went into the game at Wembley as underdogs, arguably maybe underdogs going in against England, and we put in a great performance and got a very valiant draw. And I think if we could pick up a draw here, obviously you know we're already four points behind Denmark. So I think if we were to lose on Wednesday night, I think first place in the group is is then beyond us, and it's only the playoff place to go. Yeah. But but yeah, a, a draw would certainly very much keep us very much in the hunt for that playoff place. So I, I would. I would happily take a draw for sure. Um, and obviously. I, I, it's a really weird group as well. I, I want yeah. to throw that out there. Is it, in terms of its the ability within it, you know, Scotland always seem to play Israel. Mm-hmm. It's something that I've always had. Oh, we know. Then, <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I've ever been a year where they haven't played them. And it, it's almost become a, like a rivalry between the two, I think. Mm-hmm. But Austria aren't playing anywhere near the ability that they have. So that they're, they're, I would say they're probably out of it. They've not had... They've not played well for a good year and a half now. Denmark are playing as good a football as they've ever played. So I would imagine that they'd, they'd finish top. Whether they'd lose points anywhere along the way is yet to be seen. You know, And as for Scotland, they sh- in my eyes, they should be finishing second with the teams that are around them. Because a, a, team, a team like Israel are the sort of side who are just going to... They'll be the ones who take points off the likes of Denmark out of nowhere. You know, so I, I think the Scotland fans could be fairly confident that a playoff place is going to be theirs. I wouldn't imagine Denmark, and you know, assuming there isn't some kind of calamity within the squad, or I can't see them dropping out that, that first position place, but I would I can't see um, Scotland dropping out of a playoff place either. I, I, I do seriously think games between Scotland and Denmark are basically fighting for first place. Yeah, well, yeah, really fingers crossed on the playoff place. Um, I, th- I think as well, some- something in the back of my mind is that our final qualifier in this group is Scotland against Denmark, the return mm. fixture at Hamden. And obviously, if Denmark have long since won the group, then potentially motivation could be, you know, a factor there. And obviously, if Scotland needs to win or need to get a positive result on the final day at Pack mm. Hamden to get the playoff place, against a team that's maybe not quite there mentally, then yeah, that could that could play into our favour. Um, but there's there's still a long, long way to go in this group. Absolutely. Only, only 30% of the way through. Um, although, of course, this this triple header will go a long way to determining uh, how the group finishes, and that starts in Copenhagen on Wednesday night. I can't wait for the game. Um, I'm sure you're excited for it as well, um, and I'm sure we'll stay in touch throughout anyway. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Cameron, thank you so much for your time. Really fascinating getting digging into this Denmark team. Um, I, I do think I'm more worried, to be honest, than when I started. Um, but no, it should, should, be a, should be a really good game. So thank you for joining me. No worries. It's been a pleasure. My thanks again to Cameron from Nordic Footy for taking the time to chat all things Denmark with the Tartan Scarf podcast. I'm not going to lie, I am worried about this game on Wednesday. Denmark have shown in recent years they are a very efficient side who seem to just be getting better and better. However, we went to Wembley in incredibly difficult circumstances and more than earned the draw. If we could do that, then why can't we do similar in Copenhagen? That just has to be the level of performance we aspire to in each and every game under Steve Clark. 
As I mentioned at the top of the show, after Copenhagen, the team returned to Hamden to face Moldova. The game is a Saturday evening kickoff, and tickets are very, very reasonably priced, with adult tickets between twenty and twenty-five pounds, and junior tickets between a fiver and a tenner. If you haven't got your tickets yet, what are you waiting for? Get onto the Scottish FA's website right now, and if you have, maybe encourage someone you know to come along for the experience. It was incredible seeing the nation rally behind the team this summer. It's really important that we keep that momentum going. With that, it's thanks again to Scott McGill for playing us out, and I will see you all on Saturday at Hamden. Oh, yes, I can boogie if you stay, I can't go wrong. I can boogie, boogie, woogie. 